The following presentation is brought to you through the power of science. Shiny. Welcome to Generations Geek, a more or less family-friendly celebration of all that is geeky. I'm science fiction writer Scott Pearson, and along with my daughter Ella... Hello. We are two generations of geek. This is episode 44, Special Order 937, the second in our epic multi-part special Grupp edition reviews of the entire Alien film series. This time, we dive into the classic first film, Alien. But first, remember you can find us online at generationsgeek.com, which includes handy links to all our episodes. Now, on with the show. Right, we've just watched Alien. For me, the millionth time over the decades for you it's what it's three i i think three maybe four maybe four and i want to emphasize that this is the first film there are no films that exist before this if you say that then we don't have walter nothing happened before that's so rude (laughs) (laughs) oh okay We can't get sidetracked onto the prequels. Now we're at what started it all. So we'll start at the top. So as everyone knows, they get awakened from sleep to go investigate a mysterious signal. I was really, those first few scenes, I was having like PTSD from um, that alien video game that I was playing. <laughs> yes. And I didn't get that far into it because it's so unbelievably scary to me. Just the... But the shot of the towers and... Because mm-hmm. something... The last thing I was doing in the game was, like, going in between the towers. And it was so scary because you you have to go into, like, these little, like, trams or whatever. And it was just... And then the, it, it takes a long time for the doors to open. And, <laughs> oh, my God, it's just so creepy. <laughs> it's such an atmospheric film. It starts out... Everyone's still asleep and there's just these long shots through the ship and it just establishes this very real world to me one of the reasons why the film is so successful at being so scary is because of how real it seems you know the ship is dirty there's little personal items tucked everywhere it just puts you in this environment that although it's you know futuristic and all that sort of stuff It just seems so real and lived in. That hits me every time, too, because especially the way the actors interact with each other and the way, just, I don't know, the way they speak is so natural and comfortable and, like, they are a crew, which is, like, so, like, any show, any movie, that's, like, the most important thing is that the actors have chemistry together, no matter what kind of chemistry that is. And it's off the charts they're everyday joes yeah you know they're not superheroes you know it, not not just that they're not superheroes as, as like literally like with superpowers but they're not heroes like captain kirk or something well, you know they're they're, also, they, they're just mean, ordinary working folk they're like yeah they're like blue collar workers yeah. of the future and so when they get thrust into this horrible situation and they're just trying to deal with it the best they can they're so much more relatable, and it just makes it so much more scary than if you have a sense that these are people that deal with this all the time, and they're going to pull something off. It's like you don't have that feeling because mm-hmm. they don't know what the heck's going on. I think part of it is um, the sound, too. And I don't mean, like, the soundtrack. I mean, like, 
the way you hear the dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if this is because they were improvising or not, but sometimes they say things and they're across the room and it's quieter or like, and yeah. that seems more real to me. Or they say something and they're off screen. Yeah. Or they start that saying makes it something seem much more real. They start saying something that never gets finished. Yeah. You know, and so it, it all of that just ties into yeah, the, the naturalness really, and the reality. Yeah. Uh, I thought you were going in a different direction when you first brought up sound, because I think there's some great uses of sound in here. Oh, there's definitely good uses of sound and that isn't soundtrack and that isn't dialogue. There's creepy the, sounds. The, the, the creaking, just yeah. the sound of the ship moving through space. Yeah, it's And it's there's, good. there's a sound that's in a lot of scenes you kind of think of it as as sort of the background thrumming of the ma- machinery yeah. of the ship, but it also has kind of a heartbeat sound yeah, to it. Yeah, you have like the bass soundscape that and, makes you, it oh. feels like you're on a big machine like a starship. It's like when you, um, if you go on YouTube and you search like, you can listen to like the sound of the like. The Enterprise. or the, Yeah, the yeah, Enterprise, yeah. like warp engines or like yeah. the TARDIS. And it's just that the bass stuff that's behind everything else yeah. all the time. And it's just so cool. Okay, so they wake up. It's a great scene, almost like birth, where they where they're coming really up like out, that of, scene. out of out of and sleep. also it takes so long, mm-hmm. or I mean, they make you think it takes so long for them to sort of wake up and yeah, be they don't just snap and, out of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a process. Something I did, something I noticed in that scene, and then immediately remembered. There's a reason for it later. Is that Ash is in there with them, mm-hmm. and I noticed that right away, and I was like, that's kind of weird. But I forgot that they don't know. I forgot that they don't know that he's a robot. So why would he be awake the whole time? (laughs) So after they wake up, then you get that great first scene of them eating together that establishes that very natural, real tone uh, before they find out that mother, the computer, has awakened them early. Which... Obviously, then sets up when we finally get to the planet. I love the whole sequence where they get into orbit, disconnecting from the refinery and and going down and landing. I love it. It's great, classic, practical effects with a big model. Yeah, you know, it's it's, good. it's so good. And you know, there are elements of it now that obviously appear dated from an effects standpoint, but I think it's, it holds it's, up really it well. It really does hold up, and it's still just so. It just draws you in. It's so engaging. Also, there's a moment when they actually land, and then it, stuff kind of explodes, where Ash has like this reaction. And when I saw it, I was like, that's a weird reaction for an android to have. But then I was thinking, like, maybe it's Ash pretending to be a person. Because <laughs> he has this weird sort of, he sort of, like, jumps and then he, like, yeah. looks around very strangely. <laughs> Everything still seems pretty normal. They head out to go find the source of the yeah, signal. Yeah, get One creepy. thing... Yeah, it's, it's very... Well, one thing I noticed this time, because this was something I was talking about uh, in the previous episode about the prequels that I was confused about whether or not in the world of these films, mm-hmm. if they had actually encountered extraterrestrials before or not, because I found in the prequels that the references to that was, were very unclear and I couldn't get a, a I just like couldn't figure it out. Now yeah, I noticed really, they don't really address it. Yeah, and it's all very strange because it's like, 
if you're seeing something extraterrestrial for the first time, you'd think you'd be going, whoa, what is that? And and there doesn't seem to be a reaction like that. But then they also don't seem to have a reaction like, wow, this isn't like those creatures we saw on planet Zerbermeister or something. You know? I kind of like so it, though, it's kind because of weird. it's almost like if they haven't met aliens before, they're like, obviously there's aliens. Yeah, and it could and be it, that. And but... then if they have met aliens... They just are like, here's some more aliens. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, it it kind of bugged me in those in the in the prequels, but I had kind of forgotten now watching Alien again when they're first discussing the mysterious signal they've gotten that uh, Ripley yeah says human. She asks, yeah. "Is it you know?" And they're like, "Oh!" And they're like, "Well, we don't really know yet." And so that does seem to be a casual, yeah. Acknowledgement that there has been at least some interaction uh, with extraterrestrials, mm-hmm. because and, and not just animals you find on some planet, but intelligent extraterrestrials yeah. that would have signals. Well, because no one, when when she says there. human, no one reacts like, "Well, what do you mean? You think <laughs> we're going to meet some crazy Martians or something?" You know, everyone just like says, "Hmm." So there clearly has been some sort of human extraterrestrial interaction in the mm-hmm. universe, but we don't get any uh, details about it. On a related note, then when when they do get to the crashed ship, you know, no one makes a particularly big deal out of the fact that they're seeing what is obviously an extraterrestrial ship. And when Dallas refers to the remains of the pilot in there as being he calls it an alien life form and once again in a very matter of fact way but just kidding it's a spacesuit guys it is not a spacesuit just kidding it's a spacesuit it's he clearly refers to it as bones he thinks they're fossilized he thinks they're bones and do you really believe that someone would look at a spacesuit and mistake it for it's just we no we're not even gonna we're not we're not going back down that road. We're gonna go back down that road. It's bones <laughs> and that's gonna... all it is. So <laughs> So then obviously things are getting creepy because they're on the spaceship. It's a creepy spaceship. Kane goes down there and then things really Kane? start running off the rails. Oh my god. He okay. Because suddenly he's getting hugged and not in a good way. It bugs me all so up much. In that he face. goes down there and he's like, It's so weird this light reacts when I touch it. Like, like he shouldn't immediately bounce if he touches something and it react. Like, he's very curious. And then he slips, and still is just like, I guess I'm down here now. Better look at this thing. Yeah, it's funny because Ash is the science guy, but, but Kane on the ship. is clearly the one very curious and wanting to get into things you know something that i never it's thought like those about nerds from uh prometheus right <laughs> who are like oh it's beautiful <laughs> there is no prometheus there is only alien <laughs> <laughs> i've always previously considered that the egg chamber is a huge subterranean cavern tunneled out by the xenomorphs but this time i was wondering hmm, could that just be like the lower deck of the ship because it's a pretty big ship it has to be big because those aliens are huge yeah 
So Cain somewhat unwisely looks over the mysterious egg-shaped object that has opened up in front of him. And then... Uh, to be fair, though... He gets in trouble. Would you expect something of that size to punch entirely through a freaking spacesuit? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's... It, like know, it, it comes out of nowhere. We can make fun of him, but like kind of fair though. It's like if you were if you were wearing like chain mail and a shark bit like a, a shark the size of your <laughs> arm came at you and just punched through it, you'd be like, "What the ah! like?" <laughs> yeah. So this this leads us into when things start getting really horrifying, obviously, because now he's got the face hugger. They bring him back. I'm so those shots of Kane just lying flat on his back. Mm-hmm. Um, are so like just laser etched into my brain forever <laughs> since the first time I watched Alien. Let's let's hop back a little bit because I want to talk about the great scene where Ripley, being the smart one, tries to maintain quarantine procedures. Oh my God, Ripley is everything you want anybody to be in a horror movie. She's like, no, I'm not doing that. I'm the commanding officer, and you yeah. know the rules. And she says, she's so calm. She says. Listen to me, we could all die <laughs> if you bring that thing on board. You know, and then I'm, guess what? They bring they all die. Maybe this is a good point to insert this little note. Sigourney Weaver's astonishing, commanding performance in this film. Sigourney Weaver is a queen. Honestly, <laughs> she is, but you know, this was practically her first film. She was a nobody. Oh, really? And she was com- she was unknown. I want to be her and so bad. The cast around her, those curly bangs. <laughs> <laughs> the cast around her, most of whom were uh, established actors, even really, even well known to really? a certain extent. Uh, Veronica Cartwright, that played played Lambert. She'd been in the business for years. Oh. She was like a child actor. Wow. She was in The Birds, actually. Oh. <laughs> you know, oh. as a little girl. Yeah, I mean, so Dallas, the captain, he had been in the film version of MASH. Uh, which uh, I haven't seen. Very solid people around her. And, man, she's just taking care of business. So, I mean, what a breakout role. I actually, I think about her in this movie kind of a lot because that's like my goal cosplay. That would be like peak cosplay for me. Have you would seen... Be <laughs> ringlet, curly bangs, the whole whole nine yards. Have you seen the new one-six scale alien Ripley figure that's coming out? I haven't. Oh my gosh, people. Ripley, in those clothes, she's got the flamethrower. She's got the little pet carrier with Jonesy in it. She's got a couple different hands, so you can have her grabbing different things. It's the first time uh, a figure has been actually approved by Sigourney Weaver. She uh. she approved the likeness because there's an earlier one six scale that you can get you could get with a loader from Aliens. It was in the you know lit, but it you know cost hundreds of dollars when it came out. That's and now, me on my way to class. And now it's worth thousands of dollars as a collectible because it was limited. But anyway, back to the film. You were mentioning that Kane lying there with the face hugger freaks you out. It's so weird. And it's less when I, the first and second times I saw that scene, 
it was a lot more unsettling and I felt a lot more, I guess, fear, but like subtle fear. Mm -hmm. The more I watch it, it's just so, I don't know, I th memorable. Mm -hmm. Should we just get straight to the chest burster? I think we should. Should we talk about no, the chest we have burster? No, we have to talk about. There's something you want to talk about before yes, we, we get to. Yes, we have to talk about um, the scene where they go in to look for it. They go in to look for the face hugger. <laughs> And they leave yeah. the door open? For quite a while before Ash finally goes and shuts it. Yeah, that was a little nerve-wracking. Wanted to say, guys. It's the beginning of Ash being a number one creep, except for when he <laughs> lets them actually inside the ship. Also, oh. side note, something else ridiculous. When Ripley is like, Ash, I'm the commanding officer, when, mm -hmm. you know, Dallas and whoever are both gone. And he's he's just like, oh, I forgot. Yeah. And it's like, first of all, you're a robot. We know you didn't forget. Second of all, <laughs> if you're a human, unacceptable excuse much? Can you imagine? Like, you're in the military and you're given an order and you, like, ignore it. It's like, I'm your commanding officer. It's like, oh, I forgot. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> and Ripley kind of, I mean, she does, she knows that he's, she's suspicious of him, but she yeah. doesn't really, like. She lets it go onto the She certain, doesn't yeah. throw him in the brig. Like. Yeah. The other thing about the scene where they're looking for the face hugger, immediately after, they just, like, walk Kane out of there. Nobody's like, maybe we should give him another x-ray first. You know, they're just like, oh, he's awake. That must mean he's fine. Let's all have community dinner before we get back in our sleep pods. Yeah. Well, but I think part of that is because they were trusting Ash to... Ugh. Ugh. To make some sort of Ugh. assessment along Ugh. those lines. We forgot entirely to speak about the uh, first acid blood scene. That's good. It's a good which one. Is, which is so... And see, the thing Running is... <laughs> people forget... I mean, after all these years and all the various sequels and, and, and the prequels, the, I mean, all this stuff has become so iconic that it's easy to forget how much this movie blew people's minds when it came out in 1979. Um, some of us weren't alive in 1979. Because, <laughs> yeah. And huge films in the past that become a part of general pop culture, then young people like yourself have often encountered references to films for years before you actually see the film. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and so it... It takes away some of that uh, shock value. You know, that that's why I find myself always kind of rushing toward the chest burster scene when we're discussing something like this. Because that scene was so amazing. When I saw, because I saw this film in the theater in 1979. And in the crowded theater I saw it in, after the chest burster, complete silence. Everyone was just stunned. It, it was so quiet. I just remember, after all these decades, I can still just remember the shock of that scene. And I think part of it is, so it's 1979. Now, obviously, in the science fiction genre, there has been a long history of monsters from outer space. <laughs> yes. You know, if you go back to the 50s, you have like a classic movie like uh, The Thing from Another World from 1951 has a space monster. You have The Blob. I mean, 
So there's a history of the monster from space, but when we're in 1979, if you look over like the lat, like the few years before that, in 1977 we had Close Encounters of the Third Kind and we had Star Wars, and those are two very different films. But what's similar between them is that although they had scary moments and there were bad guys in Star Wars, mostly aliens were just like kind of cool and fun and and cute and and funny they were weird shapes and they you know and so <laughs> there was this tone i mean there was a scary sort of horror sci-fi movie uh in 1978 the remake of invasion of the body snatchers but although in a sense people kind of become monsters in in those films it's still it's like it's a person and they're just changed in a way or whatever. It's not the same as an actual physical monster thing. And so I think that was part of why people were not expecting such a crazy, scary monster in space kind of thing. The The film actually has more in common with a different kind of film that was popular in the 70s. <laughs> the slasher film where you have some sort of horrible bad guy that's killing people one by one and never seems to quite die when the people try to do something to kill him. Uh, I'm and they're called slasher films because this was before the hash slinging slasher? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> In the 70s, yeah, I mean, there was, there's the, you know, the, the your psycho killer kind of film. And for a while they became known as slasher films back in this time because you had movies like... I'm thinking of the classic movie Halloween that came out in 1978 and you had Michael the shape in the mask with a big knife or you had the Friday the 13th films which you know Jason used a variety of implements to kill people one by one and they became known it's as Saturday the 14th right now <laughs> fun fact as we're recording and so in in many ways the alien fills the role it's a monster it's a it's a it's a psycho killer or you know but it's also just kind of an animal you know it's like jaws or something it's not really a moral thing it's just being an animal doing what animals do uh, the jaws shark is malicious <laughs> it knows well it's not necessarily behaving the way a real shark does but it's still that shark is sentient but it's still just an animal doing what an animal does so the chestburster what a scene and then from there it definitely and comes... Ash says don't touch it <laughs> it becomes a much more <laughs> traditional monster movie at that point because then you actually have a big scary monster where before first, first it's a it little more scary creepy monster. yeah yeah one thing I noticed this time was that there are a couple of shots where I think you can see the camera dolly track. Oh, yeah. Just in the shot, and they didn't really have to bother with it because... It looks... The the ship is so <laughs> yeah. cluttered and, 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 you know, stuff. It doesn't stuff. matter. It's, it's like it just kind <laughs> they, of... They could borderline have a boom mic in there, and it wouldn't matter. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, there was one shot when Dallas is in the vents and the cameras, you know, Oh yeah. Dollying yeah. back from they him. Just didn't bother him. And there's the tracks. And then there's another shot down one of the corridors in the ship 
and it looks like there's just dolly tracks right there but again it just blends right in with the general messy aesthetic of the uh mm-hmm. of the ship that part where he like jumps down and then he shines the flashlight on the alien gets yeah, me right so there. bad every oh, time and every time i'm like it's going to be there <laughs> there and every time i jump like a foot out of my seat and throw my arms in the air like i have to run from it let's back up a little bit because before he goes into the air vents is we have we lose brett going off looking for jonesy <laughs> should we talk about that a little bit i like because when that's... he he goes here kid kitty and then he's like ugh, and he's just like jones yeah <laughs> yeah there's many things I love about this scene. On the one hand, it is kind of the cliche scene in a monster movie or a slasher flick where you should never go off alone because you know you're going to be picked off. But he goes yeah, off they're to looking get... for this thing and they're like, "You go find it, and we're going to you yeah. go find the cat, and we'll keep going." It's like, <sighs> yeah. So he goes. I don't know about that. But then I like. Oh my gosh, the the detail of the sets is just crazy because that's one of the scenes where he wanders off and he's in the different rooms and you're seeing and there's, these there's, these strange little vehicles like and there's chains like clinking together yeah. oh it's like the um it's like in covenant in the what room what is covenant the... there is no boy <laughs> it's like in covenant when daniel's has it in the in the um with all the like terrain vehicles mm-hmm. And it's got all the chains, Which? connection, continuity. Uncreative repetition. Whoa! Yeah, whoa! <laughs> so, um, I love, yeah, I love that you get these, see these little vehicles because it, it just implies this larger reality of, of, you know, it's just goes back to what I was saying at the top that it's just mm-hmm. like, it was so real. You're just in this universe that's so real. Yeah. In the, the 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 room with the chains and the raining and stuff, that big structure hanging down was the landing gear. Oh, what? Where's the rain coming from? Just watching it this time, I thought of the uh, rain as just condensation inside this thing because it had been open to the exterior. But I don't know. It, it is strange and unexplained that there's all this water. I always, when we're talking about yeah. Alien, I think I go to save the Scott, and I'm like, no, that's the guy who did The Martian. Like, they can't be the same person. <laughs> but they are. The Martian is so different. Anyways. Yeah. Um, well, he's done a wide variety of films. Oh, but then I always want to give a shout out to the best cat reaction shot in the history of cinema. That cat when, deserves an Oscar. Yeah. Because when the xenomorph pulls brett up in you know up and there's the shot of the cat just looking up i love that it's it's so so good things are getting brutal dallas goes into the air ducts he gets taken as you already previously alluded to what if the alien made sounds like scooby-doo sound effects when it took people Let's talk about Ash when he freaked out. It's such a great scene because, once again, there was no way to expect an android. 
You know, that just came out of nowhere. That was just like a complete, you were just as surprised as the characters in the film that, oh my gosh, he's a robot. And so at first, you're just thinking the guy's losing it. He's snapping or whatever. You know, but then you're kind of wondering, like, why is he sweating milk? You know, you can, <laughs> you can see this, like, white, and it's just like, what's up with this guy? What's going on? And I really like when he, f- something breaks and he's spinning around on that wall. Oh, it's so disturbing. How did he do that? <laughs> Let's see. I think this part so of it disturbing. is maybe them, I think they have to have sped it up. Maybe. Yeah, some, yeah. But it looks so real and it's bizarre. so yeah because you're still not at that point until he actually gets his head knocked off you're still wondering you know well, what... well even as a robot you know what i mean like it's yeah. so like oh my god but when he when you're still thinking well that he's a person and to have him yeah. spinning around and he's spewing stuff out of his mouth it doesn't you know it doesn't seem like he's throwing up like a person does or just you stuff doing, buddy? and you know and and talking nonsensically and and wow it it was it it was so disturbing and i mean it still is but again going back to that first viewing in a theater in 1979 it was just so creepy (laughs) man in lambert very quickly loses it yeah and if she had been the only female character in the film it would have been annoying but she but wasn't. She's also and she's upset she has a, and she's crying, but she's still pretty much doing her she job. She still tries to do right? her job. Like she convinced she tries to convince them to do something else, and then they're like, We're not doing that. And then she still yeah, is, yeah. you know, like on the phone to Dallas and she has the motion detector anyways. Like yeah. she's still she's trying. Well, and completely losing it under the circumstances is a believable and natural reaction. Yeah, I think I and, would and, be her. And so, but I th- that was one thing I, I appreciate about the film is that you've got Ripley, who's very strong, and yet you see her, you still see the strain, you know, you see her breaking down a little bit, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, it's a very, the performance has great range to it. Oh, man, it's just, it's just so good. Well, and I was commenting to you before we started watching it that I was so excited to watch it. (laughs) And, I mean, I have no recollection of how many times I have watched this film. A lot. Over the decades. I mean... Because it's been... Well, this was one of the first films I owned. I bought Alien on VHS back Mm -hmm. in the 80s. And then at some point I bought the DVD, and then at some point I bought the DVD again when they came out with a special edition with two discs. <laughs> and and so I have owned this thing in multiple formats over the decades. I've watched it over and over and over and over and over. But then when we plan to sit down to watch it, I'm just like, ooh, I can't wait. <laughs> the only alien DVD I own is Covenant. There is no... You're, <laughs> Some sort of hallucination that there's a movie called Covenant that has something to do with Alien. I don't know why. I don't know what. (laughs) Oh, man. Where are we? Getting very close to the the end of this fabulous film. Um, Um, I was trying to, because we are doing a 
multi-part series. Mm -hmm. I was trying to connect the prequels to this movie. Okay. Um, should we do? Should we I, talk about that a little bit? Let's right talk now? about it. Um, I have one example. <laughs> okay. Okay. And it's literally just um, the spaceships, mm -hmm. the... the Nostromo versus the Covenant, which ah, is mm -hmm. that they have long shots mm -hmm. of spaceship interior in Covenant. That's more people are walking somewhere, mm -hmm. and it has a nice panning shot of the interior of the spaceship in the beginning of alien it's um empty while mm -hmm. they're still sleeping that's pretty much all i got i wanted to talk about walter more in this podcast obviously there's nothing <laughs> um if i if my life was a sitcom and i there was some shenanigans going on that i didn't know about and i was like mad about it they would be like, Ella, you were probably in your room thinking about Walter. And I'd be like, I don't do that. And then it would cut to me holding a picture of Walter and crying, just going, you are my sunshine. <laughs> uh, so so you, you want, okay, so you mentioned tracking shots as, as something that sort of connected the style of the direction of the films. Is that what you, what you were uh, getting bit, at? Yeah. yeah. And uh, one thing that I really... the style of the spaceship, sort of, even yeah. though obviously it's more, it seems more advanced and, well, I guess it's, it's the Star Trek Discovery versus the original <laughs> series. Well, I think, though, in the Alien continuity, I get the sense that the Nostromo is an old ship. Yeah, but the Discovery it's, is an old it's ship. It's an old... Well, but I, I, I don't want to talk about Discovery. <laughs> Let's well, let's not That's get a different let's podcast. not get that all it's, muddled in the, here. Do you know what I'm? Do you see the comparison I'm making? Yes, though? It's yes. The exact same thing. It, it, a, a a timeline issue when you do. I'm, a, I'm not a saying I'm not saying it's good or bad. I'm just no, saying no. it is. Yeah, I know, but I'm just <laughs> I'm just trying to stay focused on Alien. So how can we? To me, uh, the spaceship and Covenant. I get the impression that it is, even though it's earlier. It's a nice spanking new ship, whereas the Nostromo is you're right. An I old think you're ship. right about that though, because they would send a spanking new ship to start the colony. Yeah, whereas the Nostromo, who knows when that thing was made? Because what do they? What do they do? You know, and and mine. What? Because yeah, the Nostromo is the tug that pulls that yeah. like space refinery around, and who knows when that tug was built, how long it's been used. I mean, uh, Dallas refers to going out on like five previous missions with someone else, and you know how long are those missions? I mean, they they go into their little sleep pods. Yo, though, like, is anyone a little worried about what happened to the previous science officer <laughs> <laughs> two days before they ship out? He's yeah. replaced with Ash. Uh... <laughs> well, but they probably just you know made it happen without whacking them or uh... something. The company just the company just said the company just said you know you've been reassigned, boom. Um, so anyway, so I mean I think there are other elements of technology portrayed in the prequels that are more problematic, but the comparison of the spaceships doesn't bother me um, in in that sense. Well, and and in a larger sense, I don't really let some of those fastidious points no yeah bother me because you know. You, you you want your movie to look futuristic and something that looked futuristic in 1979 mm -hmm. the computer graphics on the Nostromo looked 
futuristic in 1979 if they had had computer graphics like that in in uh, Covenant. <laughs> It would have been ridiculous. So it's like when you Um, that's the problem of doing a prequel. You have to throw out continuity of design to maintain futuristic. Did you notice similarities? Because between the films, yeah. Other than the plot, other than the complete rehash of the, uh, I mean, other than the alien spacesuit slash exoskeleton, other than cool spaceship. There's heroin with brown curly hair, <laughs> a Maybe. robot that goes crazy. There are a bunch of elements that get reused, and to me, they just didn't... <sighs> if you start extending a, a movie series, or a book series, whatever, when you have a series, when you go to make another one, you ask yourself, what makes you know, an alien film an alien film? What are the iconic beats, the notes that you have to hit so that people feel like, yes, I've seen an alien film. And at some point, you start making decisions like, well, there has to be a crazy robot, there has to be a plucky heroine. Oh, she's not plucky. (laughs) Yeah, but I'm just, you know. um, Who, I don't even remember Prometheus. We don't need to. The danger is, is that on the one hand, yes, those elements give you that feeling, but on the other hand... They can start feeling yeah, like you're just retreading. Yeah, there's a point where you're recycling. Yeah, I. you're just re- yeah. Star Trek into darkness. And uh, don't even don't even go. There. <laughs> Let's keep making Star oh, Trek comparisons. Oh, and I just yeah, have to so apologize f- to Benedict Cumberbatch <laughs> for that comment. It's not your fault. I love you. <laughs> Leave him alone. <laughs> there was an effort made in story elements some design stuff, some directorial elements to create an atmosphere of continuity between the films. But to me, the the real, the more important stuff of continuity, like a sensible plot line that leads from one into the next, for me, that wasn't there. Uh, and, and we talked about this when we talked about the prequels. We talked about how they related to Alien, and one of the things that I was talking about is that when you watch Alien, you don't come away from that film saying, hmm, I wonder where those aliens came from. I need that explained to me. It's like you're given such a perfect world in front of you in the Alien film that you just accept, oh, Here's an alien spaceship. Where did it come from? Well, it came from, you know, whatever the alien was up to. And and, and it got infested with these bugs. I think you're right. If you watch a a movie from the age of sail (laughs) and a ship is infested by rats, you don't say to yourself, I need a prequel to explain where the rats came from. (laughs) You just get it. You get it in the world that you're in. Here's, Here's a question, though. Yeah. If the prequels were made in a coherent and sensible way (laughs) and you came away loving them and they felt like a real alien movie that added to the franchise yeah um don't you think you would have been like oh my god i'm so glad i know where the aliens came from although upon seeing the original film going back was unnecessary that is not to say that someone couldn't have come up with a script that could have made me say, wow, I'm glad they did that. But, yeah, but like, the scripts I, they came I up with... I feel like the problem in the prequels not... was more 
in the way that it was executed and less about there not being a need for that part of the story is what I'm saying. Because I, I don't know, I'm a fan of prequels. We've established that um, I love world building. Prequels are made exclusively for that purpose, pretty much. <laughs> well, see, so the thing is, what, what, what gets in the way of some of these things is commercial value. Because what I come away from the original film wondering more about is the shady company. What's up with them? You know what? You are completely right about that. The company is what piques your interest in Alien, for sure. Yeah, and they kind of touched upon that in Covenant. But, you know, they focused more on the alien. And, of course, part of the problem is, is that, well... The original film was called Alien, and then the sequel was called Aliens. So it'd be kind of hard to go and do a movie in that world and not in some way bring in those xenomorphs. But I would have been more interested in the story that didn't have the xenomorphs, that was a a, a different genre of film that was more about the company that was more mysterious that was more political really compelling when you have several movies to a franchise and they're different genres completely that would have been but can you imagine really interesting can you imagine making an alien movie without a xenomorph in it it's like you couldn't get away with that people would freak out or you know maybe they're people they would definitely get some heat for it but i think what you said about just having like a weird movie about the company i think if they had the right script it could work i mean if you have yeah. the right script technically anything works and but... you, yeah and and you would do it would all it would all be in the marketing you would be making it clear yeah. that this is a movie in this universe but it's, Ugh, it's I love but it's different it's a different take marketing in 2017 the pacific <laughs> let's talk about this the pacific rim marketing have you do you know have you know what i'm talking about no you can sign up to be like a Jaeger cadet and then they send you like texts like we need your help and they give you like assignments to do and I have it and I get texts like Jaeger cadets and I think it's I mean <laughs> that's clever it's fun and and um something more relevant um the marketing for covenant where you could take the quiz and they would assign you yeah. what type of android you needed. Well, yeah, and those little short film kind of things that they put Yeah, in. yeah that was some bits, great yeah. stuff. Like, or were they introducing David, you know yeah. what I mean? And it was like a commercial for the android from the company. It was yeah. great. That was great stuff. And and if the, if the film had been more along those lines than just turning into a retread of the xenomorphs and this and weird retconning and... I like Covenant. I'm going to say it. I, there are parts oh. of it that are irritating, but um, you oh, can watch it and there, you don't think about it. Oh, yeah. There, <laughs> there are some scenes here and there and there that I really, well. I like Prometheus. People who listen to our previous podcast know, know how much feelings. I enjoy Daniels and Walter. Walter. Because I said in the, in the previous uh, podcast that the only way that I would want another Alien prequel is that if we see Walter rescue Daniels and it's about Walter and Daniel. It's like, I don't even care about the alien anymore. I don't, it's just like, because we already know what happens with the aliens. But Walter and Daniels, th- those are some nice characters. Those characters, Tennessee 
is solid. He doesn't get that much but, time in the movie. He gets more time in the book. But, but then they get lost amongst uh, a, a, a is, plot in, in that Covenant, largely is a retread of in Alien. In Covenant, you can ignore the problems, and in Prometheus, you're just confused the whole time. Yeah, I, a, a, a Covenant is a in in some ways a uh, better than Prometheus, I guess. I don't know. It's a hard call. I yeah. Anyways. If we're doing a retrospective of the entire series, <laughs> we're going to have to compare and contrast now and then um, between uh, between them. Ripley running through the ship to the shuttle with a flamethrower in one hand and Jonesy in the other is my aesthetic. <laughs> <laughs> like, fabulous. There's nothing that's more me. <laughs> it's, oh, it's such a satisfying film. One thing that I noticed this time that I thought was really cool that just gave you this sense of scale is... When she launches the shuttle, and there's the countdown going on, and you're you just keep seeing, you know, it's like she still hasn't cleared the refinery yet. Yeah. And it just goes on and on, and you're starting to wonder: Is she even going to clear the ship before the thing blows up? I thought that was such a a nice yeah, touch because that's it cool. it really you're like gave oh, me the sense of the immensity big of that thing. Yeah. As we get now to the very end of the film the other thing that ties into my comment about comparing it to a slasher film is that there's always one last zinger with the bad guy after you've you you think he's dead (laughs) and this one you think she's escaped and it turns out that he's on the ship with her so then we you, haven't gone to you, the 1970s yet in my cinema class, then you get so the I don't final... know anything about the, <laughs> the film grammar <laughs> of the time. Okay, so was there anything else in the theatrical edition that you wanted to comment on? I think it's cool that uh, you're forced to figure out yourself that the alien is coming to the end of its life cycle. And that last scene, like, it's moving slowly and you're scared, but you don't really know what's going on. It's kind of still trying to, you know, be a jerk. Jonesy. (laughs) Yeah, because there was a slightly different conception of the alien's life cycle in Alien than what they went with in Aliens. Because the reason why I asked if there's anything you wanted to talk about the theatrical version is because I did want to talk about that one one of the deleted scenes, but we've been watching the theatrical versions of these films. That's what will continue throughout the series. Although I think we will here and there have to talk about some of the deleted scenes. Update. I've also, I have seen all the deleted scenes from Covenant. (laughs) And let me tell you, it's like solid Walter. (laughs) It's good. It's good. You guys Google them. So the most amazing deleted scene from Alien is the cocooned scene where Ripley comes across Dallas and Brett cocooned by the alien. And in Aliens, that is turned into that the aliens cocoon them so that they're captive uh, for the facehuggers to come along. Yeah, but, Aliens is different. But... What seemed to be the idea is that those bodies just became the raw material out of which they grew more eggs and and, and stuff. Yeah. And I think that's kind of implied by 
the condition of Dallas and Brett in that scene because Brett looks kind of like yeah. melty and weird because he's been there longer. And Dallas is looks more Con- like... He's conscious. He, he knows also... Ripley is there. He, yeah, but he also seems like he knows... He's, he's gone. Because he just says, kill me. Mm-hmm. Where in Aliens, when you come across someone who's cocooned and once they wake up, it's like they're just their normal selves. And they're like, whoa, get me out of here. And they're yeah. trying to escape. Because well, there's also the queen they're just trapped. in Aliens. Yeah. And in Alien, there wasn't really that concept yet. Because uh, I think it was Lambert that says, well, where's the rest of the crew? Well, I think you could infer, well, the organic material of the rest of the crew was used to create <laughs> all those eggs down in the egg chamber. Yeah, you're right. And then, as you referred to, the xenomorph that's in the lifeboat the shuttle or whatever at the end he's so slow because he's dying he's already served his purpose he's cocooned some stuff to create the next cycle and now he's just going to uh, drop dead the way a lot of insects have relatively short lives they do whatever they their little thing that they're supposed to do and then they're they're done Mm -hmm. although that is a very interesting and creepy life cycle i also think that going more full-on insect queen thing worked perfectly well in oh yeah definitely you know but we can talk about that next time yes so did you have any final thoughts i'm gonna be honest obviously i love the alien franchise Mm -hmm. i'm new to it Mm -hmm. as of last year but i think aliens is my favorite so i'm really excited to watch aliens again i've definitely only seen aliens once oh so I'm really excited to watch again and talk about it. But yeah, I love Alien. It's a great mashup of sci-fi and horror genres. And then obviously in Aliens, we get a mashup of sci-fi and, and adventure and military sci-fi. Yeah. It was, a, it was a great idea to go for that difference in tone for the sequel. So it didn't have as much of a retread uh, feel, uh, you know, and, and, and going with the, uh, well... I'm going to stop because otherwise I'll just be talking about aliens for the next uh, 20 minutes and that we will save until next time. That's all the time we have for this episode. Tune in next time for episode 45. The A2s always were a bit twitchy. Part three of our multi-part alien retrospective as we discuss the classic sequel, Aliens. Remember that Generations Geek is a part of the Chronic Rift Network, which broadcasts from Jonesy's Pet Carrier. Please give their other fine podcasts a listen at chronicrift.com. Thanks for listening, and come Come back back next time. time. No geeks were harmed in the making of this podcast. Ooh, shiny.